Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. Welcome back to another episode of The Long Run Show. This is Austin with my co-host here, Mike, and we are going to be talking about buying the dip today. Very interesting Mm. phenomenon that I think we've seen play out over and over and over again this year um, in the markets, and it's been a bit of a ride, and I've actually... I actually have a, a little story to launch us in, but um, Mike, if you have anything to, to add on the intro here, um, yeah, feel free. Yeah, I, I would just add on that there's been, I feel like stock market memes and phrases <laughs> have begun become such a, a, a common piece of, of, uh, of the lexicon even. of pop culture in yeah. the last few years, which is really interesting. And I, I you know, we, we're kind of titling, in our, in our minds, we're titling this kind of a buy the dip. And what does that mean? And, you know, how do we how do you try and predict where the market is heading and stuff like that? But I think to the moon, to the moon. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. See, (laughs) I mean, we've been there before. The uh, the Buzz Aldrin and uh, Neil Armstrong have been there before. So you could always go back. (laughs) But um, (laughs) anyways, anyway, I think that the 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 focus of this is is kind of, you know, the psychology of how do we figure out what bear markets bull markets you know what's going on and and like is buying the dip possible is it a is it a real strategy and you know maybe some some we could discuss some fomo all sorts of stuff but i i'm excited to dig in i'm excited to hear what your story is as well yeah so i was watching a youtube video as i want to do um and i this particular one was a video talking about um actually i can't even remember the full title of the video i think it was talking about a recent ipo or something and then they talked about the market in general in broad terms and the the host just offhandedly said oh yeah you can basically just draw draw a trend line he was like almost making a joke but like only half making a joke he said you can basically just draw a trend line along the uh, the high points of the, the sp500 and then whenever it just goes below that just buy <laughs> and i was like well time out here <laughs> Like, it can't be quite that easy. I mean, I know we've been in a, a humongous bull run before, you know, all the craziness of 2020. And then, of course, there was a huge, huge sell-off and a huge rebound. I mean, an explosive rebound to all-time new highs. So it's interesting because, you know, I, can you just draw a trend line and buy below that trend line every time and be all set or you know I, obviously from a mathematic perspective you're probably better off just dollar cost averaging in but that got me thinking about this whole trend of buy the dip buy the dip and mm. it seems like <clears throat> up until you know maybe maybe recently the the thanksgiving around thanksgiving we had had some sell-offs the day after thanksgiving was a pretty bearish red day for all the markets up until that point like we didn't have a lot of hard sell-offs this year. And it seemed to be that every, every one of the talking heads on the, the news shows was just talking about how investors were buying all of these dips. And therefore, none of the dips were dipping <laughs> to, hmm. to uh, really lean into it there. So it, it got me thinking, okay, is that all you have to do is just look at the S&P 500 and buy every dip that comes along and you'll be all set. I don't think it's that easy. I think probably you're you're better off dollar cost averaging in, and that takes out a lot of the psychology, which we can definitely talk about. You mentioned FOMO and FUD and all that stuff. Yeah, we can we can d- dive into that. But it was just a very interesting thought experiment for me, going, huh? Maybe maybe there's something to that. Maybe maybe I should pull up a chart. Look at that. <laughs> 
That's really interesting. And I think it, it strikes upon my, my first, my very first question would be like, well, how do you define a dip? You know, is it, mm. is it, it, are you trying to define one? You know, it's like the, was the YouTuber trying to define one as a, a day, like an intraday dip? Um, or was it over a week or is it over a month or a year? You know, he was so... using, he was using the like month or six month chart. Wow. So th- 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 there's so many different ways to even look at what a dip could be that I, I find it really interesting. And I mean, I had like, like the stickers around the Benzinga office that just say by the dip. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, a... it's almost become a <laughs> meme in and of itself, which is that always concerns me. Like there's, there, there's there's something to be said about not going with the crowd and not going with the consensus. And that tends to be a very smart thing to do. However, it seems like at the, at the same point, when you're talking about such a broad market and, and okay, it's only 500 stocks, but it's the 500 largest companies, the most financially successful, or at least supposed to be the most financially successful companies in the United States that's a pretty big data pool. When you're talking about that, there is some wisdom in the crowds, right? And that's why we you know, have this whole invisible hand of the market and efficient market hypothesis. And we can, you know, we can debate that and everything. But there is something to be said about the wisdom of the crowd. And so <clears throat> it almost makes me wonder, okay, well, then do you just apply that and, and, and hope for the, you know, hope for the best, but you just <laughs> apply that and go, okay, this, this dip falls below my one year or six month chart trend line. So I'm going to buy right now. Does it, does it really make sense? And and I always think whenever it's a meme or whenever I see a bunch of people doing it, <laughs> I'm always skeptical because things can never be that easy when something's promised to be very easy. Typically with the markets, it's not quite as it seems. So yeah. that's what concerns me initially. But yeah, I mean, I think if you, you, you really need to define a dip to understand, you know, what buy the dip means. Um, but it's it's different than, you know, a dip on a single security, which could be caused by a lot of different factors. Some may be fundamental to the company. Some may be not, right? It could be a, a sector-wide sell-off or a market-wide sell-off. And so then you're getting a, a great company at a discount. So it makes sense to buy the dip there. But when we're talking about a collection of 500 of the largest, most financially successful companies in the United States, does that make a difference um, in the whole buy the dip? Does it does it make it always right instead of only sometimes right? Mm. I, I find it interesting that you brought up you know the wisdom of the crowds and not swimming along you know kind of with the with the current. But my my question would be you know how did the dip happen in the first place? Because a big fast dip would have to be a very large chunk of the market. And that kind of the big crowd has has already made their decision in the case of a big dip. They're all selling off. So when you're buying the dip, are you kind of therefore going against the crowd? Even if you're even if you're within some sort of smaller community of market participants who, you know, kind of espouse those beliefs and and believe in rebounds and stuff like that is is. But is that then just simply a microcosm of the crowd? It's a smaller (laughs) crowd, but it's another crowd that you're going along with. Well, yeah, I I was thinking it was it was a smaller crowd that would be a microcosm, but it does align with some great wisdom from, you know, the likes of, of Warren Buffett. I almost said Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> he's definitely not one you should be taking stock. <laughs> um, 
from Warren Buffett, who you know always says, always says, well, yeah, there's money to make money to be made when there's blood in the streets, or you know the the tide goes out and then you really see who's swimming with, with swim shorts on, um, and so. You know, that sounds I, pretty Jimmy Buffett-esque. <laughs> I guess it, maybe they're related. <laughs> Should dig into that a little more. Um, so I, I guess it it almost does make you a oh, what is the word I'm looking for? You're going against the consensus. Contrarian. Yes, a contrarian, <laughs> which I always like to be. But um, <laughs> it does make you a bit of a contrarian um, if you're buying the dip, right? So is that the right move? I don't know. I think it needs to be, I don't think you can just rely on that indicator alone, which is why I think this, this story I told at the beginning of that, that host kind of making the joke of the trend line on the S and P 500, just offhandedly. I think that's what he meant was like, okay, well, yes, you, this is a really for right now during a, during a bull run, it's a really great, great um, indicator, but it needs to be paired with market sentiment and larger macro trends that will help you understand a little bit more um, what's what's really going on there. But what do, what do you think? You think you can just buy the dip every time on the S&P and be good to go? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that there is something to be said about the, the capability of black swan type events, which are is it essentially just means like a, something that really no one sees coming, which... Is imp- it's impossible for the market to to predict it, and so the whole efficient market hypothesis only only affects things that are widely known. Which is why I personally don't believe in the mission market hypothesis. The <laughs> efficient <laughs> market hypothesis. I think it's Bubkiss. I know the options are always priced in on public information, but so many people are idiots and don't know all the information. So I am a firm disbeliever of efficient market hypothesis. So. Shoot me a message on LinkedIn or something if you want to argue with me about it. Don't, but read don't George worry. Gilder. Read I, George Gilder. and <laughs> I'll be arguing with him a little bit in a future episode about this. But I think I might lose. That's all I'm going to say now. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I think that there's always, I mean, there's always the opportunity if you, you buy at a, a perceived dip. And it could just be the start of a, a, of a horrific bear run. Um and I think buying the dip necessitates a, a, an optimistic mentality over the long run, which I agree with. I espouse that mentality of, you know, I, I expect innovation to continue to grow. I expect market conditions to improve over time because of innovation, because of new ideas and new ways of doing things that, and I think there's, there are some people who believe that the only reason why economic growth occurs is population growth. I think that is, patently false well yeah that's um (laughs) it's complete bogus and there are plenty of arguments around that and i I think they're just very yeah very incorrect um so i I am of the natural optimistic viewpoint however there are some dips that you know it it could simply be a first indicator of a bigger problem um you know in the long run buying those dips could be good for like you're saying like the overall like s&p 500 i think that's probably pretty safe um, but if you're buying the dip of an individual stock or even a small sector or something that, I don't know, I feel like that could get, could get a little more dangerous and is, is a little more high risk. Yeah, it definitely isn't. What's kind of interesting to think of is I, I was, when you said, well, maybe buy, maybe that dip is, is the initial phase of something worse. 
I was thinking, okay, well, what happened if you bought at the beginning of the, the financial crisis as things were going down? It's like, well, yeah, that would have taken a couple of years for you to rebound, but now you'd be sitting really pretty. So it, it, it almost all of this, all of the, the talk of buy the dip on the, you know, on the S&P 500. Again, I'm strictly speaking of the S&P 500. If you're buying a broad index fund or ETF fund, um, then it almost is a moot point, whether you buy the dip or your dollar cost average and just freaking buy something, please <laughs> don't just sit on the sidelines, right? That's that's the whole that's the whole thing. It's like if you had bought the beginning of the 2008 dip, three years later, you would have made your money back. If you if you dollar cost averaged all the way through 2008 and just kept your head in the sand, you'd be good. Um, so I, again, that's the cons the very very conservative risk averse side of me just saying, okay, well, just buy. Doesn't matter how you buy, just buy, please, and then you you'll be fine over the long run. But that's because I have a very um, a very optimistic view as well, probably a little bit tainted by your optimistic view, Mike. <laughs> but but I do have an optimistic view of of you know the the business world and the economy and and U.S. especially and and innovation as a whole because I I in all of my um, studying and reading of history it seems that humans always find some way to do something better and more either more efficiently or just better in general. Um, and it seems like that, that's, that is the case. Now there are, are definitely um, ways that, you know, I guess you'd call them in the economic term to delight Mike here. You'd call them a negative externality that's unforeseen um, from you know, something like the Fed or some geopolitical, um, you know, for instance, Russia invading Ukraine or China invading Taiwan or something along those lines that, that would have, you know, huge effects. Those, those are, those are uh, big issues that could cause a dip that could be very, very, very deep and longstanding, right? Um, if, you know, for, for instance, if for some reason the Fed just totally misses the mark and mismanages inflation, well, that could be a very, very bad problem for the markets. Well, those, those sort of things, it depends, it all depends on your time horizon, right? Because those sort of things could eventually, as long as, you know, as long as, uh, business and the economy of the U S kind of survive and we don't have an apocalypse, <laughs> um, those sort of things will work themselves out over over a period of years. Now it might take a while, but, but that, that is the case. They will work themselves out. So it almost seems to me like, like buying the dip or, you know, debating whether you should buy the dip is kind of a, uh, a what sort of, what, what's your goal? And then what's your time horizon? Because you really need to take those two into account and decide, okay, what, What's going to, one, scratch your itch, because maybe you're buying the dip to just scratch the itch of, I want to have some fun and see a great percentage return. Um, and and also, maybe it's just a, a time entertainment thing where it's like, oh, I get to have some fun here and, and buy the dip. It's like, okay, well, that's fine. But maybe for your real investing portfolio, you want to do something like dollar cost averaging, or maybe you do look at it and go, okay, I'm going to be really disciplined about this and not use, you know, almost opposite FOMO fear of missing out on buying the dip 
to force you into making rash decisions around, you know, a market reversal or just just a, a bump along the road. So it, I, there's so many factors that go into it. It's hard to it's hard to give a blanket statement whether it's a good thing or not. I, I guess. Well, you had something to add there, Mike. Go ahead. Yeah, I just uh, two two quick things was one where I think that's a good um, a good distinction you made of the S&P 500 and not because I think to be honest, I think if the 2008 crash happened now in the same the same thing that happened and and let's say I didn't know anything about the background of CDOs and tranches (laughs) and stuff and I see Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns, you know, the price drop in 70, 80 percent in a day. I probably would have bought a bunch of like, oh my gosh, like these are great businesses. I know these by name. Like these yeah. are well-known investment banks. Buy the dip, buy a bunch of them. And then it just goes to zero. Uh, like that, like very unexpected. So I think I think that's a good distinction of buying the dip in in some sort of index that is re-weighted and refitted on a regular basis. It's filtered. And filtered, exactly. I think that's that's a probably a very important distinction. Um, and then the second one, kind of mentioning what, what you said about, you know, over the course of years, even events that can be considered like very serious, you know, like let's say Russia invades Ukraine and brings NATO into a war and there's some sort of Cold War-esque or more hot war-esque kind of <laughs> happenings in Eastern Europe. A warm war. A warm war. <laughs> Hopefully there is no war, but, but maybe let's say a warm war. Um, I mean, barring some sort of apocalyptic there really aren't any game ending events that could befall the, the, the economy and stock markets that wouldn't make you worry to make over this better. If any kind of game ending apocalyptic event happened to the markets, you would be worried much more about yourself and your loved ones than you would be about the markets and your money. in them. That's, least, that's my hypothesis. At least I hope you would. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, the, the thing is, I mean, yeah, I've, I've, I've heard it put before. Basically, if you if if there is such a large issue that we're having some sort of apocalypse and it really causes that much damage and basically upends our financial system and everything just explodes and goes to zero and there's just you know, nothing left at that point, you're going to have to figure out how to use bushcraft and survive on your own. Because that means we're literally in a chaos situation and there's no rule of law. Okay, so that sort of thing, I think, is fine to prepare. If you want to prepare for that, go pre- go be a doomsday prepper. That's fine. But it doesn't make sense to, at least I don't think it makes sense to necessarily have that approach when you're talking about your, your own portfolio. Now, you should be prepared for some, some negative trends you see or some, you know, maybe you don't like certain companies or the way they run and so you have some maybe moral or ethical reasons not to not to buy those or you think there's going to be a huge you know problem with whatever sector and you know maybe think gas is going to be obsolete so you want to get out of gas and oil stocks okay that's fine but those things you can prepare for you know individually in your portfolio you don't need to be it, it makes no sense to me wasting time on worrying about the apocalypse with your portfolio because you're doing just that. You're wasting time. <laughs> like you said, if it gets to that point, you've got much bigger, much, much bigger issues. I would say the best index fund you could buy for the apocalypse would be a, a basket of, of, of first aid kits and possibly ammunition and uh, a lot of food. Know, a, a, a very unique styled ETF that would be 
a very physical ETF in your basement or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking like pounds and pounds of food. A quite literal basket of goods. Yeah. Uh, yes. Not some <laughs> basket of goods made up by a bunch of economists that doesn't exist. Anyways. Um, yeah. So I think the buy the dip when it comes to the, the S&P is interesting. I, I also wanted to ask you what you thought of if that sort of attitude throughout 2021, because there was a lot of people who missed out on the amazing bull run from, uh, from, you know, March, I think it was March 23rd. For some reason that date is seared in my mind, March 23rd, 2020. Um, <laughs> But from that point that, you know, the absolute bottom of the market in 2020, a lot of people missed out on that. And so in 21, it seemed like no one wanted to miss out on on that. So they didn't want to miss out on the bottom. So they kept buying. Mm. Um, and also, of course, we have, you know, it was impossible to have any sort of bond portfolio because those were just getting hammered all year. So people were looking for they were looking for returns. But it seems like that sort of sentiment or, or attitude played into the pretty much just linear progression of the markets it seemed like in 2021 now mm-hmm. again i'm talking high level about s p 500 i'm not talking about you know small caps or mid caps or particular stocks but it seems like that sort of attitude really permeated a lot of the news so i'm interested to see what 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 what, what do you think were the effects of that um, for this this past year, 2021. Mm, I, I like that because I think that gets back to what we first discussed of the psychology of right. by the dip, of FOMO, of, of these kind of almost meme investment ideologies um, <laughs> that that kind of grow and change due to the market and due to, to the psychology of the of investors within it. And I think that I think you hit the nail on the head of that the the idea that the the market kind of you know had an opportunity in march and maybe a good number of people took it but it seems like most didn't and that kind of like you said that boiled over and kind of quickly jumped into this flywheel effect of course of the of car across the course blah, <laughs> across the course of the next you know year or so a very interesting flywheel effect and what i find interesting is a similar thing kind of happened in crypto as well in Mm, that um you know you have the crypto markets that it's interesting to hear arguments both in favor and against that crypto is um correlated to stocks yeah it it more recently it definitely seems to be more correlated to stocks uh, when we're especially small mid-cap tech stocks kind of thing um which is a whole a whole ball game and uh, you look like you have something to say there. Well, that definitely, I mean, it definitely deserves a deep dive in an episode, but just thinking about our current theme here, that might be driven less by a fundamental correlation and more by a psychological correlation hmm. that we're, you know, we're, we just discussed how everybody was afraid of missing out. And I think you were building to this. So I'm hope I hope I'm not stealing your thunder, but like everyone was afraid of missing out on the, the equity rebound, the stocks rebound. But so was so was everybody in crypto. And we've yeah. seen waves, you know, Bitcoin, the, the classic the top dog there, you know, went way up and way came cr- crashing way back down and well, way back up again, had a nice run and then come back down a little bit as we record this. But um, so we've had, you know, a lot of volatility, which everyone knows is typical in the crypto market. But, you know, you were just saying yesterday, it's amazing to think Ethereum was a few hundred dollars 
couple years ago and now it's multiple thousands of dollars so it it does seem like there has been some FOMO which is not necessarily I, I guess that doesn't totally correlate to buy the dip but it seems like the correlation between the two might be one the access of retail investors to to these different assets and also um which i think is great i think it's great that we have more market participants whether you know a lot of people are annoyed by that they're like oh the retail investor they're not smart enough to participate in price discovery and i say you know what they are they have they can (laughs) with benzinga pro they can have the same resources that that even some uh people with bloomberg terminals have so i i say that's a great thing more market participants the better but that has led to I, I think more access leads to almost a, a heavier weight towards that wisdom of the crowds mentality. And, and again, the sa- it seems like the same people who would be afraid of missing out in stocks would be afraid of missing out in cryptos and mm. therefore would drive a lot more traction and traffic towards both of those markets. Um, therefore almost smoothing out the bumps in the road, um, you know, towards a positive direction. But Again, we're we're fairly young and we haven't experienced a long bull run. Most of our life has been a long, almost decade long bull run. We haven't experienced a very long bear run. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what we what we experience over the next. <laughs> will this turn into stagflation <laughs> again? I don't know. Yeah. Who, who knows? Yeah. Stagflation. Maybe it's on the horizon. Maybe it's not. Um, we, we did talk about inflation earlier in the year and how I thought it was not transitory. And clearly it's not. The Fed has, has since, uh, I'm no crystal ball seer, but <laughs> the Fed has since dropped the whole transitory idea. and They're no longer team transitory. Um, but anyways, I, I think, yeah, it might be some psychological uh, correlation and not necessarily a fundamental correlation. That's a really interesting point. And I, I don't, I don't, I haven't heard that from either side. Um, I like that because it, it does seem like the same people who would be interested in buying the dip on equities would be interested also in buying the dip on cryptocurrencies as well, which is very interesting. Because yeah. it seems like the same psychological reaction, right? It's like, oh, this is this is on discount. I want a big percentage return. Therefore, I'm going to buy. Right. And so same thing in crypto. Everyone saw the beginning of 2021. Everybody saw the huge run up and people making millions upon millions in, in returns. And so it definitely attracted a lot more participants, but um, we're still not at anywhere near anywhere near peak adoption with crypto. I don't think, but yeah, that's another, another, that's a whole nother time. honk. Uh, but it's interesting, almost a psycho demographic correlation. Ah, yeah. Leave you it know? up to the, the economist guy to just come up with some crazy terms, psycho demographic. <laughs> I am neither psycho nor am I a demographer, but <laughs> I'll go with that. <laughs> that that sounds about accurate, though. It seems like it seems like there would be no reason for them to be correlated. It's not like all these big tech names hold crypto, so it's not like their values would be correlated to the value of crypto. So it seems that there must be something else driving that. It seems to be a correlate correlation, and again, correlation doesn't equal causation, so. That's something to keep in mind, too, just because it, it may have happened in the past doesn't mean it's going to happen in the future. So don't go drawing trend, trend lines, lines. On some <laughs> crypto index out there. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Which I, 
there's gotta be it's gotta be out there but is there like a crypto 10 index or a crypto 15 or... no but there's talks uh, i i keep up regularly with some of the more boring side of finance so we're talking you know kind of like <laughs> like the the barons of the world and you know that that sort of thing um not necessarily the, the fun meme stocks on reddit but um there is talk of making a a crypto index so that there can be products based on that some etf type products but of course with the sec and our entire federal government not knowing what to do with crypto it makes it really hard to to put together any sort of etfs based on that because the sec just doesn't know what to do with them right now mm. and that that'll probably continue for a little bit but eventually i think there will be i think you'll have some sort of some sort of index but um if you haven't listened to the crypto episode we put out um i can't remember what episode number that is but definitely go back to it yeah that that episode we talked about the the great culling as mike coined the term um and i think you'll see some sort of index come out of that because there will be less coins and less tokens out there um and you'll probably see some sort of index we constantly try to apply the same sort of tools to new ideas and so i see no reason for there not to be an index eventually yeah, that's a good point. I, I definitely agree that there's been, a, even just in the last year, an enormous uptake of like using equities methodologies in crypto. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and using those tools. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I don't know if we have discovered whether or not you should buy the dip, but what would be some of your uh, your takeaways here, Mike? For if someone's looking at their portfolio, going, "Well, what what do I do about this whole dip? The FOMO? What what are you thinking?" Yeah, I, it's interesting because I think, like we talked about at the beginning, you gotta you gotta define the dip in terms of your own strategy as well. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're looking for individual stock dips and stuff, that that's not as guaranteed. It's more risk, probably more reward in the short yeah. term. Um, you know, if you if Lehman and Bear Stearns hadn't gone completely bankrupt and survived, you know, maybe they'd be doing great today, and maybe you'd have made a ton of money buying them at a, when they were net ninety percent down or something yeah, like that. But they went bankrupt, so there's always that risk with with individual stocks. Um, so I think that I th I honestly uh, like the the Austin low risk approach of if there's a dip in the S and P, you know, it might be might be a good place to do it. Um, I think buying the dip in a, a broad index like that is probably a pretty solid play. I mean, again, if you look at historical uh, records for the market for a long period of time, whenever there's a big crash or something. I mean, it has so far always rebound. And like we, like we talked uh, barring, you know, some sort of apocalyptic event that really you shouldn't be worried about your portfolio. Uh, if that happens, <laughs> if there's an EMP that wipes out all the power grids or a nuclear war or a comet or something like that. Um, maybe you'll be worried because you got to get, get the money out of there fast enough to go and buy some food and water or something. But um, I would, uh, I would hope that there's a, you know, Hopefully that doesn't happen. And even even large scale global, I mean, even looking at COVID, like COVID was really considered kind of an apocalyptic-esque event for a while. Yeah. Um, and in some ways it kind of, it's been a minor apocalypse is what I would characterize it as, as a, as a, a very, a minor form of a, a it's a, I mean, it has been a world changing event. There's been a paradigm shift in yeah, how we approach things <laughs> similar to a world war. Both world wars have created very distinct paradigm shifts and were almost mini apocalyptic style events that, you know, 
pretty much all aspects of life were changed in a lot of countries. Uh, so, so COVID has been kind of one of those really unique uh, events. And we've seen the market, you know, crash when it happened and come back very steadily and then jump back this year. Now, the question is, how long will COVID go on? You know, we've got the Omicron, we've got all sorts of stuff going on in speculation. So, you know, who knows, maybe it could get worse and become a zombie virus and we have a real apocalyptic event on our hands. So there's so much, there's so much unknowns. Uh, but... Let me just say that's not sourced and definitely speculation for anyone wondering on there. I just want to assure everyone that yeah. I, that's not, we don't <laughs> yes that is very true very important to note it is 99.9 percent chance that covid will not become a zombie virus i would probably add a bunch more decimals on there and that's also not financial advice. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know what what stock to pick for a zombie apocalypse that's that'd be a fun episode stock oh, picks for apocalyptic uh different apocalypses Ooh. i like that yeah spacex for a comet Oh, definitely. Uh, something i don't know what you'd pick for zombie we have to think about that but anyway <laughs> so barring something like that i think you know for myself and it sounds like for you as well austin that in the long run optimism is warranted due to yeah. human innovation due to technology due to increases in efficiency and convenience and uh, i don't i don't see that even slowing down that is that is sped up yeah. dramatically um, even though we have, you know, the situation of Moore's law and specifically in computing, we haven't necessarily seen a Moore's law translate into a lot of businesses and a lot of other categories. And who knows, quantum computing might blow Moore's law out of the water. There's so many different things to consider. And I think, I, I don't know, my my absolute takeaway from this is, yeah, maybe buy the dip in the S&P when it, when it goes down. That's I feel like that's, again, not financial advice, but I don't know. If you're optimistic like us, maybe that's the right play. What's yeah. your thoughts? My my takeaway is that if you're strong enough mentally to know why and set rules for yourself and strong enough to follow those rules when it comes to buying the dip on the S&P 500 specifically, I think that's okay. But if you're a person like me who just is pretty I can get very easily swayed um, and I'm, I'm not necessarily the most disciplined person, which is why I don't do active trading. Um, then at least right now, maybe I will eventually, but right now I, I just don't do that because I, one, I'm too busy and two, know that I'm, I'm pretty easily swayed. Um, so if you have good rules set around it, I think it's okay to buy the dip. You have to define what it is. You have to have a trend line that you're you know comfortable with all of that. But, um, I think really just if you're going to buy the S and P 500 and hold it, for a long time anyways the most efficient way to do that time and time again it's been proven mathematically is just dollar cost averaging just buy the same amount on the same day every month no matter what and it's kind of an ostrich approach but you can always do that with the the large portion of your portfolio and then have some fun with cryptos or nfts or real estate or single stock picks and just have fun with a smaller portion of your portfolio just to scratch that itch. Um, but that's, that's personally what I'm doing. Just that's, that's my take on, um, on buying the dip is I, 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 my thought process is that it's not really worth the effort that it would take to monitor when to buy the dip. Now, if you want to, you totally can. I think it's a valid, a valid strategy. I just don't know that it's worth the effort. You might as well, if you're going to hold that 
position over the long term, over the long run, you should just dollar cost average in anyways. I think that's more efficient. That's a good point because the question is, where do you get the liquidity to buy the dip? Do you always have a dip <laughs> fund that's kind of sitting around waiting for waiting for a dip? Just a bunch How of do you... queso, salsa, guacamole <laughs> sitting around your dip fund. Dip okay. fund. Uh, but yeah, where do you get the liquidity from? Because if there's a big dip and you're invested in the stock market, chances are you just lost a ton of liquidity and you're probably better off just holding yep. rather than selling everything and buying, you know, an S&P 500 index, right. Hoping that it's going to go back up. So I mean, maybe, maybe for people, that's a legitimate thing. Have a dip fund that uh, is sitting around waiting for something. But I think, you know, in normal, like you said, the psychic effort required in continually monitoring yeah. or even just having the, the funds, that's a lower opportunity cost perhaps, uh, or opportunity, you know, you're, you're paying an opportunity cost by just leaving funds around waiting for waiting for something to happen. Yeah. Um, and then a quick caveat as well. I know I just said, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe buy the S and P 500 dip is the right play. I personally would never do that. So <laughs> I have never, <laughs> I have never owned a S and P 500 index and I don't plan on doing it. So, really? so it, okay. it, that, I'm glad that we have okay. both sides of the perspective, but because I, uh, I do and will. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do own an S&P 500 ETF and I will continue to probably throughout my life. Yeah. But well, that's a whole nother conversation. So I think I think for, for today, I think it, Mike, you, you kind of put your stamp of approval on, ah, it could be a legitimate strategy. You just would never do it. And as for me, I think there's more efficient ways to buy into the broad market as a whole. Cool. Well, that's been this uh, this episode on the Long Run Show. We, if you would, if you liked this episode or any others, please uh, give us a five star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on, um, and we will look forward to talking with you next time on some new subject over the long run. Yeah, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll we'll catch you later. Did you know nearly all stock price changes of ten percent or more result from a single news headline? That's right. News headlines have a unique ability to drive stock prices up or down. These news catalysts create trading opportunities every day. All you need is a little help to reach out and take them. And if you're looking to grow your portfolio, it doesn't matter if your investment budget is small or big. An easy-to-read stream of news headlines will increase your opportunities to profit from price changes in the stock market consolidate a knowledge-based investment strategy, and grow your portfolio. All you need is Benzinga Pro and its powerful news alerts, price tracking, and portfolio monitoring to make a positive change in your trading performance. We've already helped thousands of retail traders across the world, and they could not be happier. Increase your market knowledge, boost your exposure to big movers, and make informed trades before major price changes. The opportunities are all around you. Subscribe now, and we'll skyrocket your portfolio today.